FMX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables on PulpMX.com. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And, again, tell a friend. It's a brand-new show. It's a brand-new feed. And we really appreciate it. If you could uh, leave us a review on iTunes also and let us know, you know, whether I'm better than Weege or how much better I am than Weege or whatever. Uh, on iTunes, we really appreciate it. Thanks to Lee at Different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds everyone who puts their body on the line for the sheer enjoyment of it. And this is what Liat offers as a brand. They make protective wear, helmets, goggles, riding gear, knee braces, boots, neck braces, covering riders from head to toe for both moto and mountain bike. But what I can, what Liat really stands for is the promise of things to come. They are in the business of making sure that you have the confidence and the equipment to push yourself faster, harder, and further than you ever thought you could go before. Visit them at Liat.com. Thank you to those guys for coming on the podcast, as well as Scott Goggles and the folks at Maxis. All on board with us. 2001 Steel City is a race we have chosen to review, and we've got some great guests. And this is just part one of two people, so just uh, stay tuned. We'll have some more gold for you in part two. Uh, I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, a man who was there on this day, as was I. It's Jason Wygant. What's up, Weege? Yeah. I mean, look, when people heard we were doing this podcast, this show, talking about old races, you had to know that this one was on the list. It is one of the all-time most epic days at the races. We don't get final round championship on the line showdowns very often. And we almost never get points lead gets coughed up in the final moto or race of the year, almost ever. And it happens with heartbreaking drama and two guys that hated each other at the time. And oh, by the way, even Travis Pastrana was loosely involved in this as well. It does really not get any better than this. And uh, I was on the team that took the loss yeah. as well. So, yeah. Uh, um, Unreal. Um, and we wrote a great long form available on RacerX Online, uh, the 2001 series. We wrote a long form article on this. You and I uh, did this. Uh, we got everybody on the record as well. So if you want to go back and read that. Um, yep, Fight yeah, Club. Fight Club. Fight Club. Look it up. Yeah, yep. it, it was great. But this was a good season. This was a good battle. It was uh, – yeah, Weege, I think, God, we probably had half a dozen people uh, DM us or tw- tweet us about doing this race on this Lee at Re-Raceables pod. I think our, our biggest worry was we knew we had to talk to the, the principal players who are Mike Brown and Grant Langston. And Mike Brown, not the easiest to pin down for interviews. So I think we were worried, but we're going to go for it. We're going to give it a shot. Brownie said he will. He said he's going to talk. Yep. I know he can be elusive. We're going to try to get him. He said he's yeah. in. He replied yes. twice. And yeah, I feel like I feel like he is. You know what I mean? Okay. So yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to hope that that happens. But uh, we do have Grant Langston for this show, everybody. So we did yep. get uh, GL one 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 back then, who's a rookie uh, in the series. And uh, again, I was on the team Red Bull KTM back then, so I have some good stories about this. But certainly a heartbreaker. Before we get too far into this, Weege, uh Steel City, so gone now from the schedule. 
but forever, so not forever, but since the early 90s uh, on the circuit, and then it became the finale, geez, I don't know, uh, 94-ish, 93-ish, it became the finale, and it stayed there for a long time. Um, thoughts on Steel City from you? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. I actually just wrote a column in the magazine for Racer X Today this month, and I was writing about about how when I first started racing and riding motocross, it was still sitting in High Point because I lived in Morgantown. And it was the first time, Steve, that it occurred to me of, hey, some people might not even know about Steel City. Like, it's starting to fade. Uh, the track no longer exists. It hasn't had a national or a big race in a long time. And now I'm starting to realize that, oh, yeah, it's gone. Like, almost the national schedule is almost the exact same tracks that it has always been. But, oh, yeah, Steel City is gone. Uh, it's only sunk into me for the first time today. Isn't that weird? Um, it's gone. Yeah, for for most of my mechanicing and moto career, media career, it was Binghamton and Steel City, the last two, and yep. they're, they're both gone. Yep. Um, yep. JMB's favorite American national track. That is so JMB. It that is, is so, so JMB. <laughs> yeah, I believe though. Uh, I believe also we we think it's hilarious because not many people named Steel Steel City was just nobody loved it or hated it. It was yeah. just fine. Yeah, it was not. Redbud, it's not Millville, but yep. uh, yeah, and no, no one hated it. It just was never at the top of anybody's list. And then JMB just threw out Still City, and we were like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was a good track to watch from. It was, uh, you know, mostly man-made obstacles on the side of a hill. I raced, I raced it once. We had a on a Saturday, I think I raced industry class or something. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, and then I cased the uphill double on the far right. I cased it, uh, and then I spent the whole next day limping really badly uh, as a mechanic. I was going to ask, how are the teams okay with their staff racing? And here you go. Yeah, no, everyone, it, seemed, it seemed like a lot of us did it, and it was no problem. It was, it was, yeah, no, no issues. So, um, yeah, that was that was fun um, to do that, but it was not wow. fun limping around the next day when I came up short on that double. Um, yeah, but, I, I did that many times. That's essentially where I learned to ride was on that track. Really, not a good, good track, really, to learn to. Uh, to do jumps, really. I, I look back at that now. That's actually what I wrote about. Oh, so the first track you ride and try to jump is is not a national track? That's not how it's supposed to work? My bad. Hold on. So bad. why did you ride there so much? Well, okay, you've probably heard, say, in California how people only practice, they never race. Right. In the Pennsylvania area and West Virginia area, people only race. There are no open practice tracks. If you want to ride a dirt bike, you have to go and race. And what were the only two tracks we had? High Point would have some races. Uh, we'd go to Pleasure Valley, Cernix track, and Steel City. That was it. So if you wanted to ride a dirt bike, you were going to have to show up Sunday morning, sign up, race. There were no open practices anywhere. Oh, wow. So how far yeah. was Steel City from, from Morgantown? Uh, about an hour and 15. Oh, I that's it. Okay. Right. I would actually stay at my house just to have one more weekend at home. Right, yeah. right. Um, yep. I didn't know that. So you, yeah, I didn't know the geography, but certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah, Steel City had some good races over the years for sure. And and this one, yeah. oh one, um, oh. it was great. So Grant Langston's a rookie. He's a world champion in one twenty five class. He's nine points up going into this round over Mike Brown. Ricky Carmichael uh, drops down at the final round because he wants to get the all time one twenty five. Uh, win mark that he's tied with Mark Barnett with, and shortly after James Stewart would would break that record. But so Ricky Carmichael drops down, and so you got Carmichael, you got Langston, you got Mike Brown, you got Carmichael or Mike Brown riding at Ricky Carmichael's for years, 
and the drama was thick. Yeah, I had forgotten. Yes, we already had all this drama because literally Langston and Brown have been at each other's throats the previous year in the GPs. Then they both come back, or Brown comes back to the United States, and Langston moves to America in the same year. So they've already got heat. So that's enough. And then there's a title fight between them. That's enough. And then, yes, Carmichael decides to drop down. This doesn't happen. I mean, seriously, we have this tease all the time when a guy wraps a title early. I think literally when Ferrandis won the title this year, they're like, what if he dropped down and tried to help Justin Cooper at the finale? It never happens. They never do this. But this time, Carmichael actually did. Yeah, it was bizarre uh, to see it happen. Uh, we had heard about it. There have been some rumors about it, but I remember thinking that's not going to happen. But Mitch yeah, Payton built him a bike, yep. and and he did it. <laughs> yeah, so Langston and Brown, or sorry, Brown and Carmichael have been riding all summer. Carmichael had already wrapped up the 250 title, so really it was, well, he's probably here to help his buddy Brown and to help Mitch Payton. Pro Circuit, that's Carmichael's old team. Of course, he'll try to help. You figure there's zero relationship or connection at all between KTM and Langston and Carmichael. Why would he... He has no reason to not want to hurt KTM and Langston. He has no connection to them at all. It seemed obvious to me that there had to be some foul play. I'm not saying he was going there to T-bone anybody, but it just seemed awfully suspicious. I know it was for the record, the 125 record, but the, it was too obvious of a plot line to ignore. It, it was, it was. And I, I got to say, again, I was on Red Bull KTM, was working for Kelly Smith. I remember the talk during the week was – even if Carmichael's there, he won't have anything for GL and Brownie. They are on another level. And this I, is hilarious. And I'm like, you tell the story all the time. And I'm like, wait, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, these guys have taken it to a new level. I'm like, this is Ricky Carmichael. Like, I remember being in a rental car and being like adamant, like, you guys are nuts if you don't think Carmichael is, is going to win this race either outright or get in the way somehow. Like, you guys are on another planet because this is Carmichael. He just finished dominating this class, and now he moved to the big class, and he's dominating that. And you think that Langston and Brown, who come from the GPs, have gotten to a new level. Like, I just, I did, I thought like I was in bizarro land. <laughs> wow. Did you, did you start having visions of like, man, I could, I could almost do a rant here and, and maybe have a sponsor. Yeah, honestly. I was like, yeah, this if race tech was in my mind, I would have just started yelling and screaming. Now, there was, I think it was Williamson. He worked for Sellards. I think Williamson was on my side also. Like, you guys got problems. But I remember being yeah. kind of like me and Mike were like the only guys saying, like, you, we got a problem here with this Carmichael guy because he is going the to run the pace. The argument here was – he had not ridden to 125 in two years, so maybe I guess he wasn't used to it. But let's look. He won three <laughs> 125 titles in a row. He won the 250 national title two years in a row. And by the way, 2001, he also completely kicked Jeremy McGrath's ass in Supercross. Like, what an unbelievably high level he was on at this time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess you just have to bank on yeah, but he doesn't remember how to ride a 125. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that what you have to bank on? Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's what we're going to. The uh, the term yes. the term uh, GL and Mike Brown have taken it to a new level sticks in my head. That's just that's crazy, oh. crazy talk. Oh. But uh, yeah, so we knew, at least I knew, going into this race, I'm like, this is not good. But nine points, Weege, nine points. I mean, if GL went 2-2, that's uh, six points. You know, it, it, nine's a nice gap. Yeah, I don't remember anyone going into it thinking, you know, it, it, it did not feel winners take, winner take all. Right, uh, right. 
there was a big dust up the previous weekend at Binghamton and you know, Langston didn't lose any points there. So I was like, yeah, he's got a gap to work with. And as always, right. They started to break away. There were that year. Remember, well, Pastrana was in there and he crashed out of it. And then you had these YZ 250 F guys in the first year. Oh, by the way, we had that bike for the first year, just to add to the craziness. Um, Larry Ward was winning races at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, Larry won Redbud. Yeah. Yeah. But the but as always happens at the end of the year, those things weren't happening anymore. It was just Brown and Langston. They were pulling away from everybody else. They had the carrot dangling. Everybody else was kind of dropping off the pace. So to think like one of them was just going to get seventh in a moto was probably inconceivable. So the nine point lead seemed fine, seemed solid. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't a problem. Uh, I think Yeah. And I don't remember. This isn't in the cycle news, but I think Ricky didn't have a transponder on for practice either. If I oh, remember geez. right, if I remember right, it was oh, like geez. one of those deals too, where we were like, "Oh, no transponder for Ricky," you know, yeah. or whatever. But um, yeah. also, though, uh, I was a big fan of the Bomber, so I was also upset that Bomber was going to lose uh, his record because I uh, I was a Bomber guy growing up, so I was also upset about that. But um, I do you remember ever? I guess so. Carmichael's last one twenty five year was ninety nine. I do not remember anyone saying, hey, he just tied Mark Barnett. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I do I not don't, remember that being no. a known thing at all. No, me neither. I do not remember that being an issue. Yes. Yeah. For an all-time yeah. class uh, overall, that should have been a bigger no. story, right? I, I know. And then all of a sudden, yeah, the last couple of weeks when it's like, hey, if he wraps up this 250 title, he could go back and try to break Barnett's record. I'm like, wait, what? That's that's a thing. I, I've never heard this. Yeah, that really puzzled me how that was never made out to be a big deal two years earlier when right. he tied the record. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. Yeah, it was it was yep. uh, a little weird, but um, yeah. So I think Carmichael didn't have a, a transponder in practice. I'm not sure about that, but I believe so. And you know what, GL? Like, I mean, Pastrana had a big lead at one point, but I I, I just remember, and it's easy to say this with hindsight. Um, I remember thinking like, I don't know if Travis can hold this all together. Like, that was sort of the thinking. And other than that, like, GL was the fastest guy, more consistently faster than Brownie. And I think he was faster than Travis most of the time, if I remember right. There was a big Southwick matchup. We talk about it in the Fight Club article. And, and GL, GL missed a race. But my memory is that GL was the fastest guy out of the three all summer long. Yeah, so you're thinking he's the fastest guy and he has a nine-point lead. Yeah. He's probably right. going to be good. Yeah. yeah. I, I, also, another story about GL. Again, I was on the team. He, we, he said at Millville before the, on practice, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win today or I'm going to win this weekend. And we're like, oh, that's, that's bold. He's like, yeah, I saw this race. I watched this race on video. It's my kind of track. I'm going to go 1-1. And we're like, wow, okay. And he went 1-1. And he went one. And he went one. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of guy he was a little bit. You know, he was uh, South African, which uh, meant he has a personality. A lot of them do, and he definitely was a little bit cocky. But he also backed it up a lot of the time, and he'd figured out Supercross also. Obviously, he threw away the win at one round, but you could see that Supercross was coming to him too. Like at this point, GL was the next big guy. Everybody wanted him. Yeah, it was weird because I feel like. In America, we were trained on, there were three guys. There was Carmichael, then you were going to get Pastrana, then you were going to get James Stewart. And then because Carmichael was basically unbeatable in the 125s for three years, and in the very next year, Pastrana wins the title as a rookie, I feel like we were pre-programmed to, okay, here's how these titles are going to go. Carmichael's going to win three, Pastrana's going to win three, Stewart's going to win three. That's how it's, this is going to go. So 
when Langston was coming over, I felt like it was like, okay, I guess he's good. He's the world champ, but he can't, he can't possibly beat Pastrana. Like, the only guy who could beat Pastrana is Carmichael and Stewart. Like, it's these three. No one dare interfere with those three. And by the way, little did we know there was an Australian on the rise who would challenge these guys as well. But I remember just thinking, like, there's no possible way. Like, Pastrana was in terra firma, man. You can't beat this guy. He won the X Games. Right. He, he, he's already the champ of the series from the previous year. But you're right. Langston was just as good. And the other crazy thing is they really did not have many head-to-head battles. There was so much drama of, like, this guy crashes, this guy has a good day. This guy gets hurt, this guy's riding through an injury, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that day at Unadilla, I, f- I remember I was there, and Pastrana's pulling away in the points, and he's going to go 1-1. Langston's still, I think, struggling a bit with the injury from Southwick. And I'm like, okay, finally. Pastrana's finally locking it down. He's finally just going to win a bunch of races, make this boring like Carmichael did, and we'll see him race Ricky in a few years. Oh, God, he's down again. Oh, he's down again. Oh, he's down again. And uh, that was pretty much the end, yeah. really, of Pastrana winning races. Go back and look at his Washugo crash a couple weeks later. It was vicious. Oh. Uh, that might have just been the final the final nail, uh, death nail to him um, right there. He, some big crashes, man. He was not yeah. He was not fit to be on the bike. You know what I mean? What's like, fun he, now, yeah. by the way, is to – yeah, there's two things. If you go back and read the Fight Club story we did, Pastrana pretty much tells you everything you need to know about how not to deal with a concussion, like how dumb everybody was. This is only 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But he, he's saying he, couldn't, he could barely even walk to his mailbox without throwing up. But at the same time, he's like, I'm getting tired of the races. I guess i got to train harder. Yeah. And then, then he, and then in the middle of it, he goes to the X Games. I think it was this year. He goes to the yes. X Games. Still. Yes. Yes. Just, yes. I got to go. Still. I got to go. I'm in the middle of a title chase, and uh, I'm, my head's I've beat. had like three concussions yeah. in three weeks. I got to do some freestyle. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just horrible. Uh, so, so there's that. And uh, also what you find out is that uh, he and Langston, part of the reason they would never get good starts together is because they were cutting over on each other <laughs> out of the gate. Like, yeah. just nastiness. Nastiness. Yeah. And by the way, whatever nastiness between those two, I would assume Mike Brown is another level than even that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I think, too, like, you know, by this point in 2000, like, sure, GL's battling for the 125 World Championship with Jamie Dobb, but in our minds, we're like, eh, it's a World Championship. Like, how fast are these guys, right? We, That's my point. Yeah. My point. I'm like, he beat Jamie Dobb. He can't beat Travis Pastrana. Right, right. Yeah, but uh, he could, actually. No, because I remember preseason stuff, and he was, you know, basically our fastest guy or as fast as Sellards on Supercross. Yeah. You know, and we're like, well, Sellards is like a race winner, and he's GL's mm-hmm. pretty much the same speed, so what's this kid going to do outdoors? Like, he, you know, we already know he's yeah. a great outdoor guy. So, yeah, it was it was a, a foregone conclusion. I think that GL would be very, very strong. Uh, also, thanks to Liet. Thank you to Max's Tires, A-Ray, Cade Clayson, and now the new guy, Jace Kessler. Uh, on the SGB Honda team using Max's tires, developed by Jeremy McGrath, used by uh, the team over there, and uh, MXSTs, light truck tires, mountain bike tires, uh, maxis.com for more information on that. Also, thanks to the folks at Scott Sports. They're providing the best in goggle technology to all motorsport disciplines for over 50 years. They're a global leader in innovation, technology, and design. Scott has always been proud to support racing from grassroots all the way to guys like Jason Anderson, the Pro Circuit guys. Pro Circuit has never used another goggle other than Scott. And I know you're going to stop me and say, but Mathis, they wore Spy for a couple of years, and they did. But those were made by Scott. 
So they've never wow. won anything other than other than Scott. Caleb Russell, Chad Weenan. I actually Weenan. did not know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now you know. Spies were made by Scott? Early on. Yes, early on. The first, wow. Yes. Uh, Walker Fowler, choose the quality product and support from Scott. Scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with this podcast, many of which have included Scott Goggles. So, uh, yeah, thanks to the Scott guys for coming on board. Well, hold on. Uh, Grant Langston, Scott Goggles, 2001? Yep. Yes. Scott Goggles. And we know if Mike Brown was on the pro circuit team, then he was Scott Goggles. And he was Scott Goggles. Scott uh, on Scott. Yeah, Scott on Scott crime. Thor on Thor yep. crime, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Langston will explain uh, how fun that was. Yeah, really, right? So yep. thanks to those guys for coming on board. If you want to save with Lee at gear or the braces or the protection stuff, email me using the contact form on PulpMX, and I'll get you a code to save at leeit.com. Uh, so please check that out. Thanks to those guys for coming on board, and thank you people for listening. So 2001. Steel City, we know the deal. We know the drill. Langston, so Langston, uh, first moto, uh, nine points going in, first moto. Brownie beats him. Carmichael crashes and works his way up to third. And But the, the Langston and Brownie are gone, but they do have a little bit. They have more more shenanigans, Weege. Yeah, first of all, Carmichael got an absolutely atrocious start. And, yeah, he might have even went down. He was basically about last. So, in the end, there was no interference. There was no connection he was never even in the same part of the racetrack as those two and yeah they battle and even with a nine-point lead langston maybe doesn't need to win the moto but he and brown were just glued to each other anyway and then i remember brown winning the moto right in front of langston and flipping him off across yeah. the finish line yep yep good flipping times him off good times well you know as a, as a crew member we had gotten into it with brent myron over there at pro circuit and then steve was a brownies mechanic a guy from england we didn't like him either so the tensions were high uh, between the two squads, and I, I mean, my guy, my, my Kelly Smith, I mean, my guy Kelly Smith, he wasn't even in it, you know what I mean? So like, uh, but it didn't matter. We hated them, and they didn't like us. So I remember yeah, that. I want to, I want you to dig a little more into to this uh, summer here. You have told many stories about on the outside. <clears throat> I'm just breaking into the industry at this point. I'm just starting working for Acer X, and KTM is doing well. So I'm like, oh, they're they're just another factory team. But you have quite a few stories of, no, 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 they are learning on the fly here this whole summer. And I guess you guys staying back east and all, what, living together, working together? Sound like a pretty crazy couple of months. It really was. Yeah, we were based out east uh, for the Nationals out in Ohio. I forget what the town is called. Um, but we were there based out east, and we worked in this warehouse. And we didn't even have benches. We like basically piled up wood to make our benches. Uh, out east, and that was uh, that was where we worked uh, to and from each week. We'd, we'd we'd commute from Ohio out west. We got working. In, I started there in 2000, and this is 2001, the second year. But we really we moved into a shop in 2000. We didn't get a dyno in time. We had just a like a wall we built with plywood and two by fours separating the office from the quote unquote race shop. Um, we had you know some flooring down and some basic toolboxes and. It was far from glamorous, you know what I mean? And I know Red Bull came in that second year. Our first year was no Red Bull. Second year, Red Bull came in, and from the outside, it was like, oh, Red Bull, like, it was a big deal. Like, you know, and, and we're like, eh, we don't even have a dyno, you know what I mean? Our testing sessions were like, here's a shock to try. You don't like that one? Okay, we'll put on this one. All right, if you don't like the second shock, we'll go back to the first one and call it a day. Like, oh. the, you know what I mean? Did they Just, not have an engine dyno? No, we didn't have an engine dyno for the longest time. Here. Yeah, we didn't have one until I think Harry Nolte came into the team in the off season of '01 or in the off season of '00 before '01, and we finally got one. But it, it took forever 
to get going. I don't wow. think we, I don't think we had it for the start of Supercross. And uh, let's not forget Michelin tires. Michelin tires, yeah, our buddy uh, FMIP. We were running yep. Michelins uh, on there, and Langston was bringing over a lot of his World Championship stuff, like Doma pipes. We all ran FMF, and he ran Doma, and I think he had some cylinders done. And there was a lot of like stuff going on that I think Langston was getting that the other guys weren't getting, and that was that was also a bit of a sore spot. Uh, but again, he was the fastest guy. There was political infighting on the team. Um, you know, some of the guys had given up on some of the riders that weren't doing very well, you know, and and so it was a it was a rough year, man. At the end of the year, at the end of 01, I think Kurt Nicole, who was the boss of KTM Europe, just saw everything that was going on in America. Selvaraj was in there. We had another guy that didn't know anything managing the team, and he would only do what Selvaraj wanted. And Selvaraj was changing his mind 18,000 times. And then we had a motor guy from Holland named Harry Nolte. He was a nice guy, but he was doing his own program and doing things on the side for GL and all of this stuff because, you know, he came from Holland where GL was based. And I think at the end of 01, Nicole was like, okay, cleaning house here. And you know who came in, Weege? Oh, the... Slicer. No, Slicer. Oh, Slicer. Yeah, Ron Heben. Ron Heben was hired. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, big Slicer fan. Yeah, so but that was before Brooks. And, like, it was just, you know, it just wasn't ran right, you know? It was just one of those things where, I don't know, looking back on it, you know, at the time, you're like, hey, a factory KTM team, but you're like, oh, God, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on. But also, you know what else was going on was we were breaking wheels. Well, we weren't breaking wheels. We would break spokes. All summer long, we would break spokes. We had a Talon Hubs with the spline drive spokes, and I think the spokes spokes were aluminum. Um, maybe not. I don't remember exactly. But, you know, when it, Southwick and stuff like that was fine, but like Troy, Ohio, and Unadilla, and stuff that was faster and harder packed, uh, almost almost without without fail, we would have a couple of spokes broken, Weech. Ooh, very, very interesting. But yep. this was not... Full panic, or were no, you no. trying to get stuff fixed, or new yeah. parts, or you couldn't. You just no, you just you broke a spoke or two. At the end of the day, you noticed a broken spoke or two, and you took your wheel apart and and laced it back up, changed that spoke out, and laced it back up. You know, uh, so I rem- no one ordered. Hey, no, we need different spokes or something. There was no code red of like, what's uh, going uh, on here? You know. Oh, uh, now another thing I will say. So by the way, this would have been unbelievable. If this team wins, I'm just thinking, like, ah, oh, it's a factory team. But had you folks had won the title, it would have been pretty crazy, considering what apparently a slap-together effort yeah. was. Yeah, it really would have been that way. Yeah. Um, we weren't, like, especially because I went to Yamaha, you know, a, a year at X, and I went to Yamaha, and then I saw how, you know, Yamaha runs, right? And, right. And I'm like, oh. Oh, you know what I mean? Like much, much different yes. stuff. And we had, we had, you know, Williamson was doing stuff to his bike, and I'm doing stuff to my bike, and Nolte's doing stuff to GL's bike that nobody kind of knows. We're not on the same, same program, and we're kind of going all over the place. Like Williamson is just out in Ohio with Sellards for weeks. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and like I, I went to Canada for a little while. Like it was just, yeah. Looking back on it, you're like, oh. Well, okay, but it was just because GL was that damn good, you know that, that that. Yeah, he was overcoming all the. He was, and the, the bike was fast. The bike was fast. It had a. It was, well, I was going to get to you on that. The, on the other side, those KTM 125s were insane fast, right? Yeah. So they had a, a the PDF uh, PDS 
suspension system, which had no link. So the shock was just attached to the swing arm, and it was moved to the side. When you moved it to the side, you now could build a big old carburetor and a big air box to do nothing but suck air through right straight shot into the motor. You didn't have to go around a shock. You didn't have to you know fit around a subframe and all that kind of stuff. You could just literally go from the side of the bike straight through right into the intake of the bike. So we had a big-ass carb. I think it was a 40-mil carb on a 125. Wow. We had so much air going in. We could run big old jets and a big old carb. And outdoors... These bikes were fast. There was no doubt about it. Nolte knew what he was doing. Also, you know, older older guy from Holland knew what he was doing with with the cylinder stuff. And yeah, man, our bikes were fast. Supercross whoops, not so good with no link. But uh, outdoor motocross, they were good bikes. Yeah, because obviously you're going up against Pro Circuit, and you know Mitch Payton's reputation. Obviously, he's building fast bikes. But I remember watching Brown against Langston. Obviously, especially off the start where it really shows, but they had a lot of motos where they were close. And I'm like, I'm sure Mitch is doing everything he can, but I think that KTM is faster. Yeah. Yeah, they were good. They were, they were good bikes. There, there was no doubt about yeah. it. They got a bit of a, a bad rap that way as far as how good they were um, outdoors. So they worked well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so comes down to, right, Pastrana eventually crashes out. Brown and, uh, and, and Langston themselves have drama. But what you've told me over and over is it's not it, it spills over. It's mechanic versus mechanic, team versus team. Heck, you said at one point you guys didn't even like Pastrana, which I didn't even know was possible. Yeah, we just were like, because he would he would you know, uh, well this is this is the hate level was at this high enough where Grant was telling us about the things that Travis was doing, right? Uh, running into him and you know being aggressive in practice and all this kind of stuff, right? So we we were like, okay, uh, you know we don't like Travis now, and then on top of that. Uh, Travis would be like coming up to the, he'd be shaking hands and posing for photos and signing autographs. You know how he did it. Like literally from oh, yeah. the truck to the gate drop, Travis would be looking after fans. And we're like, ah, he's so fake. He's fake. He hates those guys. You know what I mean? I remember being yeah, like, yeah. look at that loser. Like just, we were, so, we were just angry. We we're just angry at everybody, the whole team. Right. So if that's how you guys are reacting to Travis Pastrana, who is the nicest person on earth, I cannot imagine how Mike Brown, Ricky Carmichael, Mitch Payton, oh, and yeah. all those yeah. gnarly, serious dudes yep. on the other side. Yep. You must have hated them. Oh, and, and Brent Myron over there would start oh. it, would start his bike up like right in the morning, like 6.30 in the morning, or like the first part, the first chance he could at a national, and just rev the shit out of it, trying to jet it. And we're just like, shut up. Like, you're turn your bike off. Like, it's too early. Like, you got an hour before practice, bro. And just things like that where we were just getting all mad at the stupidest stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so great drama. Yep. A lot of great drama. Uh, and then Carmichael dropping down, it was like, ah, oh, man, we're in trouble. Like, he's going to, you know, he's going to definitely affect this thing. But as we said in the first moto, uh, he goes down early, and uh, he's a, he, only, he, he can only get the third. So now it's six points for GL, but only one moto left in the year. And so even if Carmichael wins – or I'm sorry, even if Brownie wins and Carmichael beats GL, which is understandable, GL can get third pretty much in a sleep, only lose five points. The title is KTM's. Yep, and then Moto2 begins, and Brown uh, in like the second, third turn-ish area of the Moto goes down, and he gets up in the 30s, and you're like, well, it's over. It's over. Brown has crashed. Brown is way back. He's in almost last, and he's got to make up six points. It's over. Langston's going to win this title. Yep. That's it. Yep. It's done. 
And yep. uh, he was basically kind of, I think he was fifth for a while, fifth or fourth for a long time, like like a little out of character. But hey, it's the last moto. He just has to do what he what he do what he has to do. And, and surely he knows that Brown is last. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Point. I'm yeah. sure. Uh, Uncle, Uncle Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Langston, his uncle, uh, was yeah. his mechanic this year. So, uh, yeah, yep. Uncle Andrew was around. And um, I'm sure he was telling him, you know, what uh, what was doing. Oh, by the way, too, controversy earlier this year uh, with Pro Circuit and Grant Langston when Langston took down Bobby Bonds at Hangtown. This was, it was this oh, year. Yeah. It was the second race of the year or was it the first race of the year? Was Glenn Helen first? Uh, second. second. Second race of yeah. the year. Yep. So Bobby and Bobby Bobby Bonds was trying to block him and move all over the place. Well, GL coming down a, a pretty fast part of the track just looks over, gets bot, get, gets beside him, looks over, pulls over, and takes the front wheel out of Bobby Bonds. And so you can actually make a case that Bobby Bonds was like never the same guy again. It really was his only really good race. Yeah. And uh, Langston did end it. Yes. Yeah, so even more heat. Uh, between the two sides, yep. and I remember Uncle Andrew like we and we mocked him. We we yelled this all year long. This was our thing all year long. So back of the truck after the moto, we're like, oh boy, like oh boy, GL really took that dude out, like knocked him out or whatever. And Uncle Andrew's like, you mess with the ball, you get the horns, you get the horns. And so uh, great. And so all year long, we're like, is he going to get the horns, Andrew? Is it the time for the horns? Like oh, on the radio. Great. And you mess with the ball, you get the horns. He kept yelling that over <laughs> and over. And we're like, what, what, what are you talking about? And then another thing Uncle Andrew used to love to say was, are you going to get kitted up? Grant, Grant, go get kitted up. We're like, what are you talking about? Like, go get dressed for, for, for practice. Go get, <laughs> go get kitted up. We're like, yeah, yeah, kit. Go get kitted up. So, yeah, it was kitted up. Good stuff. Oh, and then, of God. course, Pingree was on the team, too, and, uh, you know, he's hilarious. And so, yeah, it was Sellards, Sellards and his weirdness and his likability, Pingree and his sarcastic humor, me and my humor, Andrew and Grant from another country, you know, experienced things. So, yeah, it was an odd mix of guys. We had some fun that year, for sure. Yes, and the team, you know, barely holding it together. Yeah. What a what an amazing combo. Yep. But and, it's over at this point. You guys are going to win the title. It's yeah, over. We're going to win done. the title. It's over. Everybody from KTM flew in for this race. So we had all the all the Austrians there uh, and everybody from the factory, all the important people. Heben was there at this point. He wasn't officially manager. He was just hanging out. But everything was done and it was all going to happen. And then I'm spotting this race, Weege, because my rider, Kelly Smith, didn't qualify. Uh, I think it was like 10th in the points or like whatever. And actually, it was Kelly's last ever race for KTM, which is kind of a shitty way to go out considering you could make an argument that Kelly, with his win at high point, his leading St. Louis Supercross for 19 and a half laps, his four-stroke national wins, Kelly was the bright spot for KTM for a long time. Well, three or four years, you know, until this year. And then this was his final race for KTM and he didn't qualify. Like a really shitty way to go out. Yeah. You know, yeah. but anyways, that's, that's a side note. Um, I was his. And no plaque for you for that first win. No plaque. Nothing. At KTM headquarters. Nothing. Nothing. Nobody. Okay. Nobody. Confirmed. Yep. And Roger seems didn't, like he was not going to get on that. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay. Yep. So um, I'm spotting this race because Kelly didn't qualify amazingly enough. And I'm spotting. I'm on the side of the hill. I'm over by the, the finish line, kind of up that hill a little bit, up that short hill. And uh, I'm spotting. And honestly, I, I I really remember this. I I mean, I can't vouch for it 100%, but in my eyes, I was the first guy to witness his wheel going because I was like watching, just spotting and watching. And I remember saying to, on my radio, hey guys, take a look at Grant's rear wheel. It looks like it's wobbling. And then oh. he goes by me and away and goes down to the start straight, comes back up. And then, you know, he got the 3-3 uh, the three, three, or 2-2-2 two, two, two up the hill or 3-3 three, three up the hill. 
make a left mechanics area. And he goes by and I said something like, did you guys see that? And like, there was silence. There was radio silence. And I'm like, you know, somebody would have looked at it, I imagine. And, and they didn't say a word. And then that's when slowly, shortly after that was when now the wobble, you could see the wobble big time. What do you remember, Weech, from the side of the track? Well, it's uh, pretty hilarious. Where you were on the straight, like next to the start, is that where you were? No, no, I was uh, I was uh, by the finish line on the other side. Side, remember, 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 Dunge passed or Villapoto passed Dunge. Yes, that yep. whole section. Yeah, I was over on that side. Oh, okay. I was going to say a, a young Steve Mathis and a young Jason Wygant must have been right by each other. Oh, okay. no, uh, I was on the hill. You know, the little doubles next to the start where yep. it would hook onto the first. Yeah. Turn. Uh, so that's where I was watching from. And uh, same thing, you know, watching with a bunch of other, I don't know, industry people or whatever. I mean, I literally had – that was literally my first week uh, living in Morgantown and working for Racer X, if you can believe that. But you were and, the GNCC guy. You were the – yeah, like you were uh, I don't even know if I was at that time. I oh, was okay. only five days into a full-time job. I think when Steel City ended, it was like, okay, uh, the Nationals are over. What's this guy going to do? <laughs> okay. Uh, go to the GNCC next weekend. Okay. Um, so at this point, I'm just watching Steel City and same thing. Um he comes across, you know, the right-hand turn and then starts heading back up the hill where the start is. And it was like everybody looks at each other like, did you see something? Like, does he have a flat? But it doesn't quite look like a flat. Like, is the tire, like, deforming or something? Did you see that? And then the next lap it comes around and you're yeah. like, oh, it's real. My memory was it got it got worse quickly. You know what I mean? Like, from, the, from me saying, yeah. you guys notice a wobble, to like a lap later, it going completely completely bad yeah yeah i i think so to to me it felt like the whole thing took 15 minutes but i guess it really only did take uh two laps really for the whole thing from like wait we got a problem to done maybe three yeah yep yep really right yeah, it didn't so, se- it didn't seem like long right no um me perhaps as a storyteller it felt like it was 15 minutes of craziness going on and by the way while this is happening brown is putting in the freaking charge of his life from about last to try to at least, you know, get something. And he doesn't know that Langston's wheel is going to go at this point. He, I remember Brown passing dudes every lap. He'd be like, oh, my God, he got another three guys. He got another three He guys. got to second, right? He got to it's second. Insane. Yeah. He, so yes. great, great work. And on a track that's not easy to pass either. Um, he got now around. Davies theory, uh, oh. talking to, you know, there was epic bench racing after this event. And, and Davies theory was that, Dudes just didn't want any part of it, and when they saw Brown get to them, they're just like, "Yeah, whatever, dude. Go ahead. I- I'm not gonna run you. I'm not gonna run you off the track. I don't want to accidentally take you out." Yeah. I was just like, I remember Brown going around the outside of Nate Ramsey, who was on a YZ 250F, and passing him on the outside of a corner. And I'm like, he just passed a 254 stroke around the outside, and Davey's like, "Yeah, because Ramsey's just giving it to him. Like nobody wants to be the guy that accidentally knocks somebody down." And I'm like, "Okay, makes sense." All I know yeah. is that he passed 36 dudes. Right. Right. Um, so Carmichael's out front. Yes. Brown is second. Right? Uh, yeah. So at one point, Brown is, you know, we now know. Yeah, at one point, Brown actually had to pass GL. The bike was still going. Yeah. Right? Yep. He passes him. Uh, we'll talk to GL about that moment in a moment. Uh, but then Brown gets uh-huh. him. And uh, you're like, oh, my God, this is going to happen. Like, Brown is going to win the title. And he would also end up. You would think winning the overall, but we'll explain that in a second. Yeah, so GL's tire is just wobble, wobble, wobble. And 
Until I went back and read the cycle news, which I had forgotten that it was two laps left when it went. Like I, wow. I knew it was near the end. Uh, I didn't yeah. realize there was, you know, maybe one and a half laps to go. Uh, but he had been dropping back. At this point, the title was done. He was what fifteenth or twentieth? I remember at one point as a mecha- as okay. a spotter, it was like yeah. it was over. Like he's he's losing this. You know what I mean? Like he can he yes. can barely ride it. You know. Um, and then eventually the wheel just goes, and that's it. He's done. DNF for GL. Yeah, and uh, he pulls over to the side of the track. I think it was right uh, right by the finish with, you know, essentially yeah. a lap and a half, or I guess two. They just maybe taken two to go, and he the bike's done. And uh, GL had this hot girlfriend back then, I think from South Africa. So everybody's spending a lot of time looking at her also. So it was really good, like a magnet of attention. Because then we got to see Langston collapsing emotionally, his collapsed bike, and the hot girlfriend coming over to console him. There think, was a I lot think, of photos being think, taken of that the, moment. I think the less I say about Samantha, the better at this point. I'm just saying if you're a photographer, yes, you're getting it all right here. You're right. getting a dude on his knees crying, a motorcycle that is clearly broken, and a hot chick all in one and photo. I think I remember like she was crying and her makeup was everywhere, if I remember right. Anyways, uh... I wasn't a fan. I'm not going to rule it out, but I remember her instantly come over to console him, and right. he's clearly crying as the moto is still going on. I was not a fan it's of it. It's unbelievable. Not a fan. Okay. Um, yeah, it was high drama. High drama for sure. Um, let's talk to GL about it. Let's do that. Let's uh, talk to GL and then come back and wrap it up, and then we'll do the categories for part two, and we'll uh, we'll do a little bit more. So uh, sound good, Weege? Yeah, let's do it. All GL, right. one of the best storytellers out there. Yeah, we we said, Gio, we just need 20 minutes, but of course it's not possible, right? He's a great storyteller, and uh, so listen for yourself, uh, Grant Langston, talking about 2001 Steel City on the Liat Re-Raceables. And now, as promised on the Liat Re-Raceables podcast, 2001 Steel City, we've got the man who, uh, man, he has to talk about this race once again. Uh, it is a world champion, national champion, Grant Langston. What's up, GL? How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How about yourself? We're good, man. And, and like we said before we hit record here, uh, sorry about asking you about one of the worst days of your life. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, <laughs> at the time it was, but, you know, fast forward 20 years, um, time heals everything. Hey, you probably get, like, seriously, how many people come up to you and claim they were there, they were the first one that saw the wheel go bad? People must bring this up all the time. Um. Yeah, you know, I I remember people um, talked about it, uh, you know, especially in the beginning when when it was still kind of stung a little bit. Um, you know, people wanted to know because um, you know some people thought like, "Well, why'd you stop? You only had, if you had a flat tire." I'm like, "I wish I just had a flat tire." Um, I'm like, <laughs> "I didn't stop by choice. The bike physically wouldn't move." Um, but yeah, a lot of people go. I remember that day. Um, I felt so bad for you that day. Um, you know, I saw it happening in real time. Um, but I, I think for a lot of people, they didn't really know exactly what had happened. So, you know, they they had some questions. So, yes, I did talk about it quite a few times. And uh, it felt like I was on repeat for a little bit. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I also look at it as uh, at least uh, at least people are curious and interested. You know, they actually somewhat cared. So uh, <laughs> can look at it that way, too. Uh, rookie year in the U.S., nine points up going into the final round. Of course, uh, as I was talking about with Weege earlier, I was uh, there. Kelly Smith didn't qualify that day, GL, so I was a spotter. Really? Yeah, yeah. He went down on the first turn in the heat and the uh, LCQ. 
So, oh boy. yeah, I was I was a spotter there, and I actually, as I was telling Weege, I believe I think I was the first guy to uh, point out the wheel because I was standing on the opposite hill by the finish line, and I said, "Hey guys, when GL goes through through the uh, mechanics area on the other side, uh, off by the start, can you look at his rear wheel? It looks like it's wobbling." And then he, you went by, and nobody said anything, and I'm like, "Oh boy!" Like no one said, "Oh yeah, no, it looks good." And and that's when it started. But uh, yeah, really, really bad day for KTM. That's that's for sure. I guess for my question to to kick this off, GL, obviously RC drops down to get the all time record. Did you think that he would be on your level, on the level of you and Mike Brown that that race that day? Um, I mean, to be honest, I I kind of knew that Ricky arguably was going to be the favorite um, on that day, and. Um, there's nothing worse than trying to win a title. And then, um, you know, there's also this other, you know, you could call it distraction if you will. And, uh, and people, I don't know if they were, um, trying to fire me up or stir the pot, but, you know, I had, uh, you know, several people tell me he's only moving down to help Mike Brown. So he's going to try to take you out if he can, or he's going to, you know, do whatever he can to help Kawasaki and Mike Brown because Brown was riding with, uh, RC during that summer. So they were mm-hmm. pretty close. So I remember I, I told Ricky this even. I said, man, like before that weekend it even started, like when I saw him, I just remember thinking, you know, like asshole, you know, like I had, <laughs> I had this bad attitude towards him before the, before the race even started. And I think, I don't know if I said anything to him. He just said, hey, man, good luck and all that. I, I think I said something along the lines of, you know, if you try to interfere, you're going to have some serious problems. <laughs> and uh, he he said to me, "No, man, this is this is not not like that. I'm, you know, basically doing this for selfish reasons. I want the all-time win record." And he assured me that he would not try to do anything that would jeopardize, you know, my potential championship. So felt a little bit better when we had the little pre-race chat. Um, but I still still had a little bit of that in me where. Do I trust this guy? You know, yeah. is he just saying the right things? You know, so I felt like before the race weekend even started, people were like, were you nervous? I'm like, I felt feisty. I mean, I really didn't like Mike Brown and I didn't like the fact that Carmichael had moved down. And um, and there was just a lot of people. I mean, you'll probably remember, Steve, how many KTM officials even flew in from Europe and all that to come and, yeah. you know, hopefully celebrate. And um, yep. It didn't. It, that didn't really affect me. I mean, I've ridden. I feel like I've ridden most of my life, sort of under pressure. So the pressure didn't get to me that much. Um, I, I guess my only real question from that day was like, how did that happen? You know, how did the wheel fall apart? I know one or two people said, well, you you kind of tagged that that double in the back section, um, that kind of big double when then you land. Um, You'll probably know what I'm talking about. It's the furthest away from the pits. Yeah, yeah, it's a pro section, the pro section that they put in. Exactly, exactly. And someone's, but you kind of just wanted to not tag it, but you just you didn't want to overjump it because the corner was right there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never really saw. I mean, I think I watched the video where it looks like I'm like, yeah, it looked like I tagged it uh, once or twice a little bit, but it didn't seem like something that should have a wheel start falling apart. So. That to me has always been a bit of a, a mystery was, you know, was it, I mean, I heard, I've heard all kinds of things and no one's confirmed or denied. I know you were 
a mechanic on the team. And, and I remember, if, if I'm not mistaken, I remember Ping and Brock Sellers and a few people talking about having wheels break um, during practice and at previous races or having wheels coming apart. And um, I'm not sure, but I thought that we might have possibly got a bad batch of spoke nipples. Uh, which, uh, yeah. Which, I don't know if you can add to that. Well, yeah, I'll jump in here. I told this Weege to, to this earlier at the Weege, and then I'll let you get in here. So we had been breaking spokes all year long. Like it was not uncommon to finish a moto with a couple of broken spokes, right? Uh, so we'd seen that all year long, and you just kept an eye on them and changed them out. So there is that. We did have issues with spokes breaking. I also saw a photo, GL. I don't know if you saw this photo. I saw a photo going up the start a couple weeks after the race with – like a, a Yamaha Troy, I think Ramsey, but I'm not 100%. Ramsey looked like his foot peg was right into your rear wheel-ish. I looked at it from the front. I saw the photo from the front. So I saw the front number plates. You guys had come together up the start straight. Uh, you can't tell for sure that the foot peg is in there, but I definitely saw that photo, and we were looking at it at the shop like, oh, look at this. Maybe this is what did it. Uh, do you remember coming together with a, a, a Yamaha Troy guy? <laughs> To be honest, the day um, it felt like I almost like the day I was that day I was concussed because to this <laughs> day it's still a bit of a blur. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So to answer your question, I don't remember. I think I know the photo you're talking about. I think I did see it, mm -hmm. but I re I don't recall feeling anything. You right, know, like right, if, right. if I felt that, I'm, I would have been like, I think that's what it was, yep. or you know. I guess in one sense, it'd be nice to have a little bit of closure on what it was. Yep. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> the, I feel like at that point in the season, um, everything was, just seemed like a bit of a free-for-all. Like bouncing off other guys was just part of the <laughs> part of the package at that point. So, um, you know, if his, if his foot peg did get in the wheel and, all of, you, you know, it is, you break that first uh, or you pop one spoke out. Yeah. The rest is history. You know, it's just a matter of time before it starts unraveling. Well, but uh, we definitely had spoke and nipple problems during the year with with everybody. I don't think any wheels broke, uh, but for sure we were like, oh, look, lost some spokes. I gotta, you know, gotta put some new in it and true this wheel back up. So that was that was an issue with that season with those wheels for sure. Yeah. So well. Um Thanks for sharing your personal information about uh, issues with your nipples. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Good to know. Uh, Good to know. <laughs> nipple problems all year. Go ahead. Yeah. Nipple problems all year. Yeah. Uh, did you uh, – you had that, that lead going in, but you and Brown had this rivalry that actually started, you know, a year before. Uh, and earlier in this year, we did a whole long story on this once. You were also battling with Pastrana. Just, this is just one of the all-time crazy, wild, dramatic – I don't know at that age you were able to take that all in, but it's like the most stuff that could ever have happened happened in this, even the final round. Like, it's so crazy, all the stuff that went down. Well, in, in the final round, yeah. I mean, it definitely was an interesting. So what's funny is I had – I actually had history and knew Pastrana and Brown from previous. Um, I don't know if uh, this has been brought up before, but Travis Pastrana came and raced a race in South Africa on 80s in 94. And that was the first time we battled, and it was it was pretty interesting. I ended up winning the race. He had uh, a little bit of obviously he was on a borrowed bike, and he had a bit of an issue. And then uh, it rained. It was a two day event. Rained the one day, 
and he had some bike issues, so he couldn't really count that. And I remember the next day it was hot and humid, and I was the dominant kid in South Africa, especially on the 80s. I mean, I at some races, I was quicker than the 125 guys on my 80. And then Pastrana came, and he pushed me to another level. And I remember thinking, he was such a nice guy. You know, we're just hanging out. <laughs> and, being friends. and I was like, this guy's way too nice to be a good rider. Like, you know, when you're young, you always think, yeah, nice guys finish last. And then I'm sitting with this guy, and he's just so friendly and chitty-chatty and you know, we kind of hit it off. And then then the following year, I actually raced the World Minis in Las Vegas. And uh, uh, I still never forget, he bought me a snow cone. I'd never eaten a snow cone. I remember thinking, what a, what a sweet guy, you know? And then he puts his helmet on and he'll just whack you at any opportunity. And I'm yeah. like, who is this guy? But um, so, and then with Mike Brown, um, he tried to clean me out in 1999 when I was leading one of my first GPs. And I remember going, this guy is a dick. And um, so we had, we had kind of had a little bit of a rivalry then, but um, I, I feel like in 2000, my rival was more Jamie Dobb than Mike Brown uh, for the title. But, you know, we, we swapped some paint through that year. So coming to America, um, you know, there was already, I would feel like some tension between us. Like we didn't, we didn't talk to each other. We didn't, you know, if I saw him on the track, you know, I got like the, he was like the the red flag and I was the bull, you know, he got me riled up. But it was also a good thing because it always motivated me and always pushed me. <clears throat> so that one season, um, I, I I figured I had Brown's number coming from Europe. I felt like I, I was a better guy than he was. Um, but I felt like with Travis, because we raced at the Nations at the end of 2000 in France. And again, there, we had a good battle. So I knew with Travis, no matter where I'd raced him, he was fast. And so I honestly thought the title would come down to me and Travis. And I thought, like, Brown would be a third or fourth place guy. Uh, so it's kind of ironic how it started. I I went undefeated, first four motos. And then at um, Mount Morris, I had a mechanical issue. And then the following weekend, I got injured. And then at Southwick and then I missed a race at uh, Bud's Creek and that's when Pastrana took the lead but Mike Brown won and I remember I was really miserable I had a separated shoulder I was sitting on the bank watching these guys race and I'm like this sucks and then they interviewed Brown on the live uh, you know on the PA system at the track and he said they said oh you know with Langston being out did it make any difference and he basically said Langston ain't the SH word <laughs> and something. And I just remember hearing this and I, you know, I felt like, um, felt like Ricky Bobby. I was like, take my sling off, offload the bike, we're going racing. I'm going to teach this guy something. So after I heard him say that I was basically nothing, I was like, Oh man, when I'm healthy, I'm coming for this guy. And then, uh, so it was just crazy how I led the points and Travis led the points. Then I led the points. And I think Brown only led the, the points at the end of moto two at the final moto yeah travis the second moto unadilla travis was leading i forget what his points lead was but everything was looking great and it changed yep. for him in a second right i um, think if i remember i think he had 44 points over me um that much which huh? is theoretically yeah, yeah. Yeah. what he had scored at bud's creek when i wasn't racing so that right. kind of was the difference he got two seconds to brown and that was 44 points so when you're right, when he crashed and DNF'd, I was I was catching him, but I, I, in all honesty, I wouldn't have 
got to him in time yeah. for the checkered flag. But I remember thinking, I had this weird feeling, just keep the pressure on this track. is so easy to make a mistake. He could make that mistake. And out of the corner of my eye, I just remember seeing the Suzuki flipping in the air. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you guys said, yeah. it was a crazy year. Like every time you thought you knew what was going on, something else happened. And uh, I, I remember uh, after Travis knocked himself out there, instead of losing a couple points, which I think would have made it like 47, I gained 25 and all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is very, very doable now. And then unfortunately for him, a couple of weeks later, he ended up knocking himself out again at again, Washougal. Yeah. And that was sort of the, the beginning of the, the end for his uh, motocross championship hopes. Um, and then, um, but Mike Brown the whole time, it just, was very consistent at that point of the season. And he won um, Washougal. And then um, I remember we came together at uh, Broom Tioga. Yeah, that was, a, I, uh, that was a big one, like in the drama, in terms of drama. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, I'll be, I'll be the first to admit I took him out, and it was on purpose. <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember there was a lot of, lot of heat. I remember Duke Finch pulling us into the AMA rig and just yeah. reading us, the, the, just laying into us. I remember he threatened, you guys want to play like this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'll take the title away from both of you. <laughs> and, oh, my God. And I was Jeez. 18 and probably a bit of a smart ass as well. And I remember saying something to him. I said, well, you'll be hearing from my lawyer. I didn't have a lawyer, but yeah. I told him that. <laughs> so, um, do, do you uh, so, do you remember how much of a dick Brownie's mechanic was? God, that guy, English yeah, guy. Yeah, you know what's so funny is um, I didn't notice it as much as you guys did because yeah. I remember even even you know Uncle Andrew, who was my mm -hmm. mechanic, even he said the same thing. But um, I, it's weird. I feel like. At that day, or you know, at, at that point in my career, you know, I was new to America, so I, every almost every person I met was for the first time, mm -hmm. and I, a small part of me just didn't. Um, I don't want to say didn't make the effort to go and meet everyone, know who everyone was. I, I I felt like I had a bit of tunnel vision, you know. It was just, you know, just motivated on on racing. I was more interested in potentially meeting guys sisters than I was meeting them you know so if that says anything but right. um yeah I remember I, I just remember I you know I can't speak for everyone but I feel yeah. like us at KTM didn't like pro circuit period I mean I I, I even told Bones who's a, a good friend of mine now I said man I used to think you were such a dick I said you would just like <laughs> look me up and down and turn your head away and keep walking and I'm like I'm like everyone on that team is just yeah. I was it was it got it got intense for sure off the track. GL, do you remember hurting your shoulder at Southwick, and then we all stayed back that week, and we were driving around to like these football therapist shops trying to find you a brace that would work. Do you remember that? Yeah, a little bit. And I remember I mean, thinking to myself, "Hey, KTM." This is the points leader here. Perhaps you fly him back to California, get some medical looking, get some medical care yeah. and some imaging instead of us driving around uh, Southwick looking for an athletic shop with a, some sort of tensor bandage brace. <laughs> I just remember, like, well, what are we doing? <laughs> it is funny when you look and think, I mean, in the beginning, we didn't, we didn't really have, you know, a suspension guy, no. a motor guy. Yeah. A dyno, a, a race shop, a race shop. Yeah, right. it was, you know, a, a trainer back then. I think Ricky was probably the only one who had a trainer. You know, that was 
So things have changed a yeah. lot in our sport. But yeah, to your point, I do look back and think, yeah, there were times maybe they could have uh, stepped <laughs> right. in and helped out a little a, bit more. Just a little bit. I'm thinking to myself, we got the points leader. Could someone fly this guy to California and look after his shoulder? But no, we'll, thought, we'll I, figure it I out. I thought you were going to talk about uh, when we went to the ktm dealer show that was oh uh, that boy was an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was an interesting one yeah we don't have enough time for that but yeah yeah we'll do that another one right right go ahead Weege. uh this last race to get it back to where we're supposed to talk about but i knew this would happen with gl this is, this is why we love it so uh you and brown even battled in the first moto i don't know if you remember this but i've it's the only time i've ever seen a dude win a moto and then flip a guy off. He <laughs> yep. Brown wins the moto and then flips you off. You're right behind him. And I'm like, I've never seen a guy win and flip somebody off. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard him say in an interview down the road that he was out of line or, you know, he, he regrets that. And I think with Brown just getting to know him, um, you know, I know when I put my helmet on and I get in the battles, I, 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 I'm a bit of a feisty rider. Um, but then I take my helmet off and I'm, usually pretty chill. I think Brown is like that, but on a whole nother level. He's super, super chill, and he puts a helmet on, and, like, a, a switch gets flipped, and he rides with just a lot of, like, passion and, and almost anger. And um, that first moto, we did battle, and I remember on the last lap, I had an opportunity to to make an aggressive pass or, like, you know, make contact. And... Uh, I, I actually regret it. I backed out at the 11th hour because all I could think about was Duke Finch in the back of my head yeah. nice. with, with lecturing. So I didn't want to make contact. So I almost hit Brown, and I think I gave him a fright because of my front wheel almost rode over his foot. So I don't know if that just kind of fired him up. But, yeah, I remember I he turned around, and I at first when he was putting his hand back, I thought he was going to give me a thumbs up. So I remember <laughs> giving him a thumbs up, and then I saw his middle finger. And I rode up to him, and I got in his face, and I think I was holding his um, chin bar of his helmet. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know there would have been several F-bombs in there. God. Do, you, do you remember what you did that night after the, after the day? What did you do? Did you, did you drown your sorrows with anybody? Did you just go to your Dude, room? And... I don't. Yep. When, when that wheel started falling apart, at the very beginning, I thought the same thing. I thought maybe I had a – was, well, I was – just sort of thinking, oh, I got a flat, or yeah, you know, yeah. almost just hoping it was just the flat. And then, like you said, you, I started feeling the wheel wobble, and I was thinking, that's not a typical flat. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes a tire can move on the rim a little bit, but it felt different. So then I was aware of sort of what was happening, and I tried, to, I really tried my hardest. You know, at least I can look back and say I wasn't reckless and hitting big jumps. I was trying to land on the front wheel, rest the rear wheel down. I didn't do any of the big jumps. Um, I tried everything knowing basically I could lose because at this point in the race, I felt like at the end of the season, a lot of the guys between like 5th and 15th have somewhat given up or are just circulating or whatever. So it just seemed like the gaps were big all the way through. So I kind of knew I just had to keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, I could lose, I could lose 5, 10 seconds a lap those last few laps or 20 seconds even and i think i still would have been good <clears throat> but it um it was just it was just too too little too late and it just you know got worse and worse and worse and um i, I still remember even because brown he he actually rode a little erratic that second moto i remember him 
he didn't get a great start and he plowed into someone they went down and then so he was coming from behind so i was limping around the track i knew he was coming i pulled over the edge of the track and he still tried to take me out he came across me and ran me off basically off the track and brake check so like my front wheel hit his rear wheel and um wow and i and that was frustrating because in 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 normal days i would have dropped the hammer and t-boned him two turns later but i couldn't do anything at that point and uh, it was really frustrating and then i remember coming around and like just praying that it maybe they had screwed up and i'd see the checkered flag like they forgot to put out the white flag and i remember seeing a two-lap card and i'm like oh boy these are gonna be the longest yeah. two laps of my life and then <clears throat> came around by the time i came around to the white flag i mean it was I was clutching the bike to, to, to keep the, the wheel moving and turning, and then eventually uh, it just stopped, and I tried and I tried. And uh, and then I just remember sitting there, and, I, you know, I was teared up, and there was even a period I remember thinking, you know, like you hear people say, you feel like you're in a dream like or a nightmare, yeah. and you're going to open your eyes and realize it was just a, a bad dream, and then, you know, you're laying in bed. And I remember a couple of times closing my eyes and opened my eyes and I looked up and I'm like, nope, nope, still the same, still the same bloody drama as when I before I closed my eyes. So it was um, from that moment on, it was it was a blow. I do remember, um, I remember just being devastated. You know, at that point, it was like it was. You know, in my eyes, the, the, the world had stopped rotating on that day, and uh, it was the worst day of my life. And uh, I was eventually starting to head back towards the pits, walking up. And my dad looked at me and he said, hey, you need to go and congratulate Mike Brown. And I remember thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, yeah. don't be a bad – he's like, don't be a bad sport. Go congratulate him. And uh, I remember walking up to him. And, of course, he's surrounded by his crew and his people and that. And then when people saw it was me, they kind of, you know, parted the crowd a little bit. And I walked up and I went to shake his hand. And he ended up grabbing me and he hugged me and squeezed me and was like at tears of joy, but he was apologizing. It's like, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Wow. I forget exactly yeah, what he yeah. said, but I remember thinking that wasn't what I expected. <laughs> and then um, I walked back to the truck and um, I, I just feel like I was kind of numb. I don't remember what happened, but yeah. I, I do remember sitting there and Beaker was the Thor gear guy and Poor Beaks. He'd go over to Pro Circuit. Yeah. They would tell him to get lost, go to KTM, where you hang out with your boys. And he would come over to KTM. We'd tell him to get lost and go back to Pro Circuit. <laughs> yeah. His favorite yeah. team. So the poor guy couldn't do anything right. But I remember we're sitting there talking, and he was, you know, very, you know, he was bummed for me and all that. And and uh, he's like, oh. And I saw a box. And I'm like, what's in the box? And he's like, you don't want to know. And I said, no, I want to know. And he's like, it's, it's there's a number one jersey with big gold number one and uh, championship T-shirts. Yeah. And I said, can I see it? He goes, I don't know if you want to see it. I said, I want to see it. And he pulled out the jersey, and when he held it up, I just remember I just started crying all over again. And he was oh. like, I told you you didn't want to see it. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I don't think I couldn't tell you much after the yeah, race yeah, i mean right. like i said i just it felt like a fog i don't right. know where i went for dinner i don't know what i did i don't know um right much it was crazy and um but you know at that time like i said it was it felt like the worst day of my life and then but 
you know, now that I've had obviously 20 years to reflect on it, um, you know, you learn things about racing and that's like, it doesn't mean because you're the fastest guy, you're going to win. You know, um, how often do we see the fastest guy not win? And uh, that year, I felt like I was the fastest guy. And I felt like, and you, you don't you don't get anything handed to you in racing. You've got to earn it. But I felt like it was my championship that year. And, you know, you almost feel like you got robbed in the end. Yeah, the injury was my own fault. The wheel, you know, whatever. Racing could be a combination of things. But, right. but then two years, you know, the next year, I ended up dealing with some injuries. And then 03... I wasn't the best guy. I was riding with a bad wrist and I was just super consistent and I ended up winning the championship. And I remember thinking, you know, you got to be in it to win it, that old saying. And it's not always the fastest guy that wins. I was the fastest guy in 01. I didn't win. I was not the fastest guy in 03. I did win. Um, but that also helped um, in the sense like, okay, sweet. I got that 125 title that I felt I deserved. It was two years later than, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in, in my t time schedule, it was two years late, but I was glad to get it and then was able, you know, to feel like I could move on and not have that hanging over me. You know, if I had never won a national title, I think it would still be hard to to let 01 go. I, uh, um, I remember thinking I was at Yamaha. And I remember thinking I was stoked for you in 03. I'm like, good. He deserves it. Because there was a lot of shit with Rhino and LB going on. And I'm like, damn right. GL deserves this. So that was cool. You know? No, I appreciate it. And and there again, like I said, uh, you know, Mike Brown was better than me most of the time. Rhino was quicker than me most of the time. James was obviously unbelievable when, uh, but, you know, he came into the series late. And um, <laughs> in 01, I felt like, I was going to win the title until two laps from the end. And then in 03, I thought there was no hope in hell I was going to win that title until <laughs> yeah. Washougal came up Horsepower Hill. And I know this sounds mean, but I saw yellow flags waving. And I'm like, I remember thinking, man, it'd be so cool if like Brown crashed and Ryan Hughes crashed into him. As if. As if. And I came over the crest of the hill and I remember looking to my left and I was like, you've got to be yeah. kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So you, you figure that wheel cost you half a million dollars, GL? That yeah. Day? How much do you think that was? Maybe more? Well, the KTM bonus was $250. Um, and then what also kind of bummed me out was my pay for the following year would have gone up. Sure. Yeah, you had a kicker. 100, right. 125000 I remember it was half of the championship bonus. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, for me, I mean, for anyone, that's a lot of money. But for, for me at that time, that was huge. And I remember, it, to be honest, I was, because I felt like the wheel breaking was more KTM's fault, mm -hmm. I felt, I actually felt a little, um, I felt like I got robbed by them a little bit. Um you know, I remember at one point, I think I said to Kurt Nickel, I deserve like some sympathy pay or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't know exactly, but I think I think it was close to about 400000 Right, right. Uh, oh. Yeah, and look, you probably only have been making money for what, a year or two at this point? Oh, yeah. Well, everyone thinks, you know, when I was world champion, like I was loaded. I'm like, I was the... The most underpaid world champion in the history of the sport. The dog food team. The dog food team wasn't yeah. raining down money on you. <laughs> no, I in '99 I won a GP and my bonus from KTM was five thousand dollars for a GP. Nice. Oh wow! And I, Jesus. And in '99 I was 
I didn't even have a salary. In 2000, I got paid, uh, what was in Dutch Guilders, but I think when I converted it, it was almost $35,000 was my base pay. But even, but even my world championship bonus was only 50000 That's crazy. So, oh, wow. God. Yeah. Wow. And that 50000 yeah. went to buying furniture and a car when I arrived here. So I wasn't exactly sitting on a pile of cash. Wow. Yeah, that, yeah, I'm surprised at how low that is, to be honest. That's shocking. Yeah, because uh, I get the 98 pay, but 99 now you were on your way. You know what I mean? So Yeah, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. The deal was structured a little bit different than it is in America. Like, they paid um, – I lived in a house that they paid for. They gave uh, a motorhome to travel in. They gave us a gas sure. card. So we didn't really have any real overheads except, you know, just basic day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, I wasn't – raking in the dough like i mean there were guys that were hence place riders that year that were making a lot more than me but but you know it comes back to you have to put yourself on the map to be rewarded because after i was world champion the floodgates opened with offers i mean i got offers from i think every manufacturer um and at one point ktm said whatever 125 gp we'll do your deal. You want to do 250 GP? We'll do a deal. You want to go to America? We'll do a deal. So uh, it, it was very flattering when all of a sudden there were some huge numbers, you know, at that point in time, I mean, I, I was even offered a half a million to ride for Husky and run the number one plate in Europe. And I remember thinking, man, that is a lot of money. Um, small, small bonuses, but it was a lot of money, but I, I was set on coming to America. I'd been here before and I just knew this is where I wanted to be. And, and Albertine was kind of always, always has been my idol, and I sort of wanted to follow in his footsteps. You know, go to Europe, win, and then come to America. So once I had won, um, I actually signed my contract before I won the, the World Championship. But I really just wanted to be here, and I, the European lifestyle just wasn't really for me. So uh, I knew I was coming here one way or the other. Yeah, I remember working for KTM, and you and your dad coming into the shop, and you guys just kept needing parts, and we're like, who is this? Who is this Euro that needs parts all the time? Oh, like, yeah, what's he, yeah, yeah. What's he doing? Remember, because it was the old shop. It was the old KTM shop by the, yeah. by the Sizzler. And we were like, yeah. what is this guy doing? He's coming for parts like every day. <laughs> so, yeah, it's pretty funny. Then next year you'd be yeah. over full time. I remember Selvarage didn't even know who I was. And I told him, can you just call Kurt Nickel and sort it out? <laughs> then he called me back a few hours later. No problem. I got you a bike. I got you some parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember it was like, yeah. hey, this the South African kid is back. He needs brake pads. Hey, he needs he needs a seat. They were just like, what is going on? What is he doing? And yeah, you were just yeah, riding was, all the time. So I did I did do a lot of riding and I was pretty hard on bikes in the early yeah. days. Plus, in all fairness, let's be honest, the KTM back then weren't exactly what they are now. No, they did no. they did have a lot of little issues. So yeah, yep. um that was part of it. Uh, amazing storytelling, uh, as usual. This is just, I don't know, dude, I've always said this to you, GL, you, you ride the highs, you ride the lows, like the drama just seems to surround you at all times. So it does make for exciting stories. I'll give you that. Yeah. It's, 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 I've never, I can say one thing. I've never, I haven't lived a a dull life. It's been, (laughs) it's always pretty entertaining no matter what. And, uh, you know, even more recently with sort of some of the, uh, outdoor drama and there again i didn't really anticipate that i would open up this can of worms that it did but um yeah you know i had a chat with you know the coombs family and things like that and i said hey sorry for the 
kind of negative uh, publicity it brought to you guys, but I said, I hope you can see where I'm coming from. So we've had a good chat about those things, and uh, yeah. I just thought, know, I thought it was surprising how far you were going to get away from Weege. You how far you went just to just to get away from Wygant. That was impressive. <laughs> like you could have just said, "Hey, man, you know I don't really like Weege," but no, you went all the extra mile, and I get it. So, <laughs> so. no, it's uh, I must say uh, it, it, it 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 it's always been fun doing outdoors with Weege. He's uh, um, just a, a a real student of the sport, and I think Weege, you've always kept everyone entertained and. Steve, you've always done a pretty good job of wrapping things up the following day. Well, actually, no, that's Saturday, so two days later. But, um, yeah, you know, well, motocross, one yeah. big family. Uh, what a day. What a day. 2001 Steel City, Liat Reraceables, brought to you by Scott and Maxis. Uh, thanks, thanks, GL. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, guys. Always fun to chat. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Good stuff. Uh, thank you to uh, GL for the time, Weege. Good, good stuff. Yeah, when I asked GL to do this, I'm like, hey, we normally talk to somebody for about 20 minutes, but knowing you, it'll be 45. And I think that's pretty much what we just did. Oh, okay, so you actually said that. All right, funny, yeah. Yes, I knew it. Um, I, knew, I knew it would go long. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny how he doesn't really remember much about afterwards, right? Like, just all a blur. That says a like, lot. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, pretty pretty funny to uh, to hear him, not funny, but pretty interesting to hear him uh, talk about that day and, and, and all of that. So And yeah, not remembering any uh, of it, right? I'm as I said in the in the pod in the interview with him. I'm super stoked he got that 03 title. You know what I mean? And, and it's funny how it worked yes. out. Like he brought he broke it down for us there. Yeah, I, I think most people did feel that way. And I think you know 03. Maybe we'll have that someday on the show as well. Leah Reraceables, but 03 was obviously a raw deal. They did not even run the final event of the year. But I think part of the reason that the 03 not running the final event of the year didn't piss people off entirely was because I think there was a sense of justice that, ah, well, Langston getting the title like that. <laughs> right. He's kind of owed one. I think that took a little bit of the edge off. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, right? Yeah. Um, yep. uh, absolutely good stuff. So, as we talked about, so uh, an unlikely pawn in all of this 2001 Steel City is one Brandon Jessamine. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, there's a name you haven't heard for a while. He was on a factory connection Honda. And so he is running third in this moto. Carmichael is first. He's gone. Um, Brownie is second. GL is out of it at this point. And somehow somebody, and I've never actually asked this question of anybody. I probably should, especially maybe now that RC and I are like bros. But like, who did the math to tell Mike Brown to pull over and let Brandon Jessamine by to therefore give Carmichael the overall and the all-time win record? Carmichael goes with 3-1. They ties with Mike Brown at 1-3. But, of course, Carmichael gets the overall. Who did this math that quickly and figured it all out? Good job to whoever that was. I know. I know because this is a title fight, right? Yes. So you figure every mathematical scenario has been run to figure out the points. And then to Langston's out with two to go. And then someone has the presence of mind to be like, okay, forget the points. Yeah. Now yeah. let's figure out the math for the overall and for Brown <laughs> – in this high-pressure moment, he's come from last to yep, second. Right. He's seeing Langston's bike breaking. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm going to win this title. But to still have the cool, calm presence of mind, hey, now let me think about Ricky. How can I help him out? I, I, I just can't believe they were able to calculate all this in that 
moment because I cannot stress enough. If you were at this race, if you were trackside, if you saw Langston's bike breaking, it was one of the most dramatic moments in the history of the AMA Nationals. So for someone to be like, yeah, 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 got it. But also, let's let's think of the overall is amazing to me. We we think we're going to get Mike Brown for part two, and we have to ask him that. Um, I I just think someone told him on the message on the pit board myself, but maybe not. Maybe he actually, yeah, maybe he actually thought of this. I don't know, man. Uh, but but so he gives the overall to Carmichael. Carmichael is stoked. Uh, he's now the one all-time 125 motocross uh, overall win leader. Mike uh, Mike Brown is stoked. He's the 125 champion. Everybody's stoked except for Red Bull KTM. Oh, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about the aftermath, which Langston does not remember at all. Right in uh, part two, but just crushing, man, just crushing. But at the same time, we all know Mike Brown as this hardworking journeyman. Right, had to go to Europe several times. I think there also was this. Well, look. Nobody has tried harder, worked harder, had a longer journey to get to this point than this guy. So good for him, too. And, and he's American. He's American, too, against, yeah, yeah, against the too. foreigner. And, and so yep. you, no matter what you say, we're racing in an American series. And so, yeah, most people were pulling for Mike Brown. And Mitch Payton is very popular, obviously, and all of that. So there was a lot of happy people. Uh, Beeks, of course, not, not poor Beeks. Very conflicted, yeah. but uh, yeah, stuck, yeah, stuck in the middle. Right. That's a good point you actually bring up on that foreign part, because I think GL has been here so long. You know, look, I, I worked with GL on TV for eight years, right? We're, we're, we're best buds, and the fans love the guy. He's got a great personality. You, you, I am only seeing Grant Langston in 2021, you know, love uh, uh, rose-colored glasses. But, yes, that's right. He was a foreign rider trying to beat Travis Pastrana that year. Yeah. He probably wasn't universally loved by the fans, now yeah. that I think about it. Yeah, definitely riders who have, speak English first, like Australians and South Africans and Canadians, are probably – Looked at a yeah. little different than the French or, or whoever, but still he was a foreigner. And even though he was a he was an honest guy, and you know he tried hard, he said all the right things in the media. I, they're still in my eyes, anyways. Mike Brown was, you know, the, the guy that everybody wanted to win. So, but, and and you got to figure that just you know him rivaling Pastrana. I mean, some fans just weren't going to be pumped on him just because of that alone. Yep. Yeah. I absolutely. Mean, Pastrana right. is the most popular rider ever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty yeah. much right. Well, next to t- Tim Ferry. Okay. Yep. Good point. Good point. Um, yep. All right. So that's uh, that's part one of the Lee at Re-Raceables, uh, 2001 Steel City. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to Maxis. We're going to have part two. We'll do our categories because, Weege, I got a hell of a, like, who's that guy uh, oh, for, nice. for this race already. So we'll get to the categories. We'll get to Mike Brown. If not, Peyton. I think I like our odds to talk, talk to Mike Brown, though. What about, uh, what about uh, FMIP? I, I feel like he would love to be a part of this. He goes way back with Brown and – he was the Michelin, the Michelin man uh, for Langston. So. He was, and if we get him on, we can tell a hilarious story about how he punked me as well that year. So, oh, he did? Yeah, he punked me pretty good. So we oh, can, the guy's we, got heat. We can get into that, too. Um, All right, this is a gift that keeps on giving. We could be up to three parts. Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, uh, thanks, Weege. Thanks for doing this. Thank you to the sponsors. Thanks to Grant Langston. For the time on this podcast, uh, thank you, people, and uh, we'll see you here for part two. Thanks, Weege. See ya.